Right to Reason podcast. I'm your host, Robert Stanley. Today, I'll be talking to Catholic adjunct psychology professor Lawrence Gonzaga. We'll begin with the Catholic priest pedophile sex scandal. An explosive report alleging a cover-up of Catholic priest sex abuses dating back decades. A grand jury in Pennsylvania just issued its report. It found evidence of more than 300 predator priests, all accused of sexually abusing more than 1,000 child victims. Nuns throughout the world abused and even held as sexual slaves by priests and bishops. The Catholic Church is facing scandals and being forced to pay millions of dollars. The philosophy was not to help children, but to avoid scandal. They wanted to cover up the cover-up. They sought to do the same thing that senior church leaders in the diocese we investigated have done for decades. Bury the sexual abuse by priests upon children and cover it up forever. A new list is out claiming to expose more than 200 Bay Area priests accused of abuse. Just last week, the Diocese of San Jose was the first of the Bay Area to publicly list the name of 15 priests credibly accused of sexual assault. We're going through criminal filings. We're going through civil filings. We're going through news articles. We're going through, we're basically scraping the internet of what is publicly available right now. There are secrets, even more secrets than the 30 names we're talking about here. There's more. Then we'll follow up with the weird concept of transubstantiation. Transubstantiation refers to that moment when bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus took bread and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body which is for you. And similarly with the cup filled with wine, take and drink, this is the chalice of my blood which will be poured out for you. He did not say, this bread signifies my body, or this wine signifies my blood. No, he said, this is my body, this is my blood. This then culminates into whether or not God and hell really exist. Let's go to our next question, which is from Michael Matty. Um, is it okay to tell a child that God doesn't exist? Richard Dawkins. I think it's okay to tell a child the truth. Uh, what I, but I would prefer to... Um, encourage a child to make up her own mind and to think uh, about the evidence and to believe things when there is evidence. What I think is not okay, what I think is deeply immoral, is to tell a child that when she dies, if she's not good, she's going to go to hell. That seems to me to be mental child abuse and an utter disgrace. Uh, I remember when I was in England, we were preparing some uh, Young English boys. Uh, they're from very. Uh, uh, preparing them for. for, for Come thank, on. Thank you. Uh, preparing them for First Communion. And uh, they were uh, very patriotic young lads. And uh, one of them announced uh, very breezily to me uh, that he didn't believe in hell. And, uh, I mean, certainly the idea of any child being sent to hell, I agree that that is uh, grotesque and that's, uh, that's not the Christian God. But anyhow, this, this, kid, I said to, this kid, I said simply, um, Hitler, do you think Hitler might be in hell? Started the Second World War, caused the death of 50 million? Or would you prefer a system where Hitler got away with it for free? Anyhow, the little kid was quite patriotic and he said, hmm. He realised hell was in with a chance if Hitler was going to go there. What, what, what about a system where he was simply obliterated and didn't exist anymore? Well, he, he would have got away with too much as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah. So, so you actually well prefer the idea of hell as a place of punishment for, but for who? Where do you draw the line? Do unbelievers go to hell? No, no, no. The only people, uh, well, one, I hope nobody's in hell. Uh, we, we Catholics generally believe that there, there is a hell. I hope nobody's there. I certainly believe in a place of purification. I think it'll be like uh, getting up in the morning and you throw the curtains back and the light is just uh, too much. God's light would be too much uh, uh, for us. But I believe uh, uh, on behalf of the innocent victims in history that the scales of justice should work out. And if they don't, Life is radically unjust. The law of the jungle prevails. Please thank our special guests, Professor Richard Dawkins and Cardinal George Pell. An Australian court has found Vatican Treasurer Cardinal George Pell guilty of child sexual offences. He faces a total of five charges for offences committed against 13-year-old boys. The crimes happened when he was Archbishop of St. Patrick's Cathedral in Melbourne 22 years ago. And then we conclude with the elusive topic of free will. I want to start with a consideration of our ancient ideas about the relation of the individual to the world in terms of fate and free will or determinism and free will. Because if we actually were aware of all the information that is coming to us through our senses, we would have a very curious sensation which would bug us because we wouldn't be able to find words for it. It would be like this. Uh, you would first of all realize that if you didn't be so selective. In other words, if you didn't pay attention to this detail and that detail, but were just simply aware of it all in general, you would get the funny feeling in the first place that you were just a puppet, that you were automatically responding to all kinds of physical and social influences around you, and that you couldn't help yourself. You might object to that, or you might alternatively enjoy it. You might get a sensation that you were just floating. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to think about any problems. You didn't have to worry about what you ought to do. You would just feel yourself responding. And that would be a very pleasant feeling if you liked it. But on the other hand, depending on your personal constitution, you might feel terribly threatened by it. And you would interpret this sensation as a feeling of unreality. Have you ever suddenly felt that you were dreaming everyday life? That it wasn't quite real? That, uh, and it spooked you? So you said, gee, it ought to be happening, see? I feel I'm going around in a dream. Because occasionally, our mind uh, slips. It's like uh, the tuning dial of a radio. Uh, it occasionally wanders off when you get another station. And so in the same way, our minds occasionally slip into another way of seeing things. This is Lawrence Gonzaga, and you're listening to The Right to Reason. It's The Right to Reason Podcast. This episode of The Right to Reason Podcast is brought to you by our patrons and contributors like me. We have all recognized the value of the unrestrained marketplace of ideas and have decided to make a difference. You can make a difference too. Contribute at patreon.com forward slash right and learn more about your right to reason at the right to reason.com. Your activism is appreciated. Lawrence Gonzaga. This is really cool, man. We're actually talking from the Philippines right now. Is that right? Well, that's right. And Paranaque, uh, near Quezon. Well, it's Manila, basically. People would probably be more familiar with Manila, Philippines. All right. What are you doing way over there, man? I'm visiting family here. I mean, I, I, I haven't uh, haven't been here in a year. Some of my family has um, 
you know, health issues. So I, I figure I'd come visit more often than I have been. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about that, but it, it sounds like it's a great opportunity to get to see your family again. So uh, you were, Absolutely. could you introduce yourself just so we could understand a little bit more about who Lawrence Gonzaga is the man, the mystery, the legend. <laughs> Uh, well, let's not, let's not oversell me. Well, I mean, as far as I would say that, you know, my, my title is a behavioral health expert liaison to the counties. I mean, it's a very long title, you know, I haven't changed my card. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but basically what that means is, is I work for a local Medicaid health plan. So for those who are familiar with, with Medi- Medi-Cal in California, so it's a Medicaid program, which is sort of low income. Sounds you know, like basically, socialism. You know, a, a lot of folks call it Obamacare. <laughs> or Romney care, so, so, but for California. Uh, yeah, whatever whatever the name, you know, they want to go with. So I work with within that health plan. So basically, we're an insurance company for low income uh, families. And on the side, uh, for the last eight years or so, I've been teaching as an adjunct first in child development departments, but now in both psychology and child development departments at uh, recently three different colleges, universities. But wow. uh, one of them is just sort of the, that private university is sort of phasing out, if you will. Um, All right. So you do uh, you do clinical psychological work. You also teach psychology at two different colleges. You, you dabble, as it were. In the brain. Yeah, dabble, yeah. So, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, obviously, when people think adjunct, they, they sometimes think of it as sort of lesser mm. than the other professors. And so I'll, I'll say, oh, I'm an adjunct professor. Oh, you're not a professor. I got into a little <laughs> a little exchange uh, with, with, a, with a psychiatrist uh, not too long ago on Phil's, uh, Phil Calderon's thread. I teach the same classes. I use the same textbooks. I have the same methodologies mm. as, as the full-timers. So you mentioned uh, Phil Calderon. That's uh, from Believer and non-believers in discussion and that's actually how i got to know you phil's a a longtime listener a patron of the show and a a really great friend so i I already know just going into this that we're probably going to have a really fruitful discussion the thing i wanted to get to first is that you're a catholic and i'm an atheist right we we think a little different we see the world differently right and i wanted to ask you about that and i wanted to figure out why you believe what you believe. Do you believe a cracker turns to flesh? You know, do you believe, uh, uh, you know, Mother Mary had sex with God, as it were? You know, not to be crude, just, you know, these are real questions. Uh, But before that, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on with the Catholic Church and, you know, raping kids and all that. It's it's nuts out there. What's your take on that? Does that make you feel less Catholic when you see that stuff in the news? Well, you know, for the, for, for a while, uh, when I first came back to Catholicism, uh, just a little background, I was raised Catholic and then became an atheist in my late teens, in my oh, wow. you know, high school years, um, uh, late high school years, and then early college. And actually, um, oddly enough, uh, I took a philosophy class at, uh, at my, you know, the college, the uh, state university I was at, uh, I, don't, I don't mind mentioning it, I guess, Cal State San Bernardino. Uh, I took an intro uh, philosophy class and, you know, they taught, um, you know, the standard stuff that you would get anywhere else, I'm pretty sure, uh, the proofs for the existence of God and then the arguments against the existence of God. And of course, the arguments against the existence of God was was sort of the, the stuff that I, I I sort of based my atheism on, I guess you can say. And then I never heard of proofs for the existence of God. I mean, I just never was in the sphere of individuals that could point me in that direction anyway. 
And so when we went over some of those things um, from a philosophical perspective, you know, uh, most of them were from Thomas Aquinas, um, Catholics call him St. Thomas Aquinas. And he wrote in his Summa Theologica five, what, what, what are commonly called the five proofs or the five ways, right? And so those are the five sort of philosophical proofs that he came up with. And I don't think he necessarily came up with but uh, them or it was like original to him, but I think he sort of fine-tuned it for a Catholic perspective or audience i don't know yeah um anyway so that's those are the five proofs of the existence of god there was one other one uh from uh saint anselm which was the ontological proof which was uh, sort of fascinating anybody who's interested just go google the ontological proof i wasn't necessarily um, convinced by that proof but that those proofs changed sort of my perspective to say maybe there is some kind of rational basis to to believing in god and then after that you know i you know i reconnected with my Catholic roots, and then uh, for a brief period of time, explored Protestantism. And so then I said, okay, so God exists, God is one, and out of the three monotheistic religions, you know, for the last, you know, 15 years or so, I've been Catholic again. So going back to your question, my personal perspective, I, I don't, this is not a new crisis, you know, I don't know if people recall, folks recall, or your, your listeners recall, uh, in the early 2000s, this broke pretty heavily on the news, uh, the abuses in the, in the Catholic Church for decades. Right. So all of that stuff already was aired out in the early 2000s. I think what recently came out is just more of that same stuff. I think sure. if you yeah. look at uh, the vast majority of the cases, um, it's still true in the early 2000s as it is now. Most of those cases were, were in the you know 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, what is coming out are, are the reports of them um, more so, uh, but still the vast majority of those, those cases were, were in the past on a human level, on a psychological level, apart from my Catholicism. Uh, I was very much upset, angered uh, about the, the way, not, not only that the fact that priests would do this, uh, such a heinous thing, but that there was sort of a systemic cover-up, let's call it what it is, by the administrators of, of within the Catholic Church. So, you know, and then those at the highest levels would be the bishops and the cardinals. And um, recently, you know, some, some of the cardinals like Cardinal McCarrick and some other high-level prelates. So I think even some of the, some of the controversy now, now is, is even pointing to some of, of you know, Pope, uh, Pope Francis's um, handling of the cases uh, as I think he was an archbishop in Buenos Aires. How are you doing as a Catholic? Like, I feel like if I was a Catholic and I heard this stuff, it would seriously make me question my faith. Like, I, I would look at the leadership of these churches and be like, what is going on? There, there's nothing worse than kid rape. This is where I draw the line. Has this challenged your faith at all? Well, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's challenged the faith. I think it would challenge uh, it would challenge my trust in the institution. Yeah. Um, thing that's difficult for folks to understand when they're on the outside looking in is they don't necessarily understand sort of the, the social dynamics from within. Yeah. And so from within the sociology of, uh, and theology and understanding of, of how Catholics, I guess, ought to think or, or, or should be thinking, I guess you can say, we understand that there are different dimensions of the church. And if this is like, this is in the, the sort of theology textbooks, so it is not just kind of cop out answer, but, but there is a human dimension of, of the church, which is made up of the people. It's made up of the people, which are the laity and the clergy and the hierarchy. 
including the popes, bishops, cardinals. So that's the human dimension of the church. But then there's what we call the supernatural dimension of the church, which is uh, what is the what is sort of the essence of the church? And, and the essence of the church is is we believe is 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 sort of a an institution um, that was founded by Jesus Christ Himself. It's found in the scriptures. Protestants would disagree with this point, but but it was founded by Jesus under the authority of Saint Peter, and that's Matthew sixteen eighteen, right? Um, you know, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so here, that's where the church was born, and that was the Catholic Church, I would say, was born at that at that point. And um, so my faith is in God. My faith is in the Abrahamic God, you know, as fulfilled in the Christian church. Under the human dimension, there are faults and flaws of of humans. I sin uh, all the time, right? And so I hope nobody that I know uh, is going to base whether or not they'll join the Catholic church or Christianity or, or, you know, on, on my behaviors as they perceive them. And neither should my faith be founded upon you know the the supposed holiness of either priest, bishop, pope, or whatever. And so, are you saying that whenever you see something that priests have done, it doesn't necessarily challenge your faith because your faith is in the spiritual realm, and this is just men making mistakes? Uh, that's that's a good way of summarizing it. The thing that I struggle with though is, didn't God set up this system? Like, isn't this His design itself? The rock on which I'll build this church and all that. Doesn't He, or at least? the faith itself have some kind of some kind of responsibility for what the men do that are supposed to be working within the system yeah i would i would say that's that's a pretty challenging kind of um, critique i guess you can say but I, you could take it a step backward even further and i know there are some atheists who would say this uh, at all any kind of evil right he he didn't just set up the church he set up the whole universe yeah. from a Christian perspective, right? And so if that's the case, there shouldn't be murder, there shouldn't be rape at all, not just rape within the Catholic Church, there shouldn't be rape uh, against adults and children or post-pubescent or pre-pubescent, and there shouldn't be any evil, right, if, if the idea is, is God set up the system, so why didn't he create a perfect system? And, and you know, that's that's another hour of conversation. No, no, that's a fair point. Right? That's God's a... evil. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, I, I, I was agreeing with you like that. If you're going to say hey, what's wrong with the Catholic Church based on the priests? But you're also, you're a theist. You're not just a Catholic. You're a theist first. So what's wrong with the world? Is, isn't that God's fault? And that's kind of where a lot of these conversations go is they go right back to God, right back to the basics of ontological ethics. That's probably not a horrible spot to go. But before we do transubstantiation, do you really believe that when you eat the cracker, the priest bless it, that becomes like flesh in your stomach, like you, you poop out the flesh or, you know, like it's, <laughs> I'm being a little silly, but still it, it sure, seems kind of to, to an outsider. It seems silly. Yeah. Even from a Protestant, I don't know. I don't know your background if you're always an atheist. But, yeah, Protestant. Um, but, Before atheist, I was a Baptist. Sure, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure some of that Baptist is coming through. <laughs> a right, bit. right, yeah, uh, right. Because that's the kind of thing from. So, so put yourself in the, you know, not from an atheist perspective. Put your put yourself back in your Baptist goggles, right? Okay. And so you believe the Bible is true. You believe that you know God is real or whatever. And so it, on that level, we would agree as a Catholic and a Baptist and, and other Protestants, the Bible is true because the Bible came from God. And I would say, you know, um, that when you look at several scriptures, not just John chapter six, 
uh, which is the foundational, one of the foundational texts for, for the Eucharist, what we call the Eucharist, is that Jesus himself said, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Mm-hmm. So from a Christian perspective, if you look at that and you say the Bible is true, the Bible is real, he had thousands of followers standing there listening to him. And he said, they even said, are you, are you saying we have to eat your flesh? And he, was, he repeated himself several times in that context. You don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, you have no life in you. And it says they turned away. And it, all that was left was his, his common, his core group. And he, and he says, are you going to leave too? And they said, where are we going to go? Your, your words are eternal life, right? And so he didn't correct those Jews that were there that said, what do you mean we're going to eat your flesh? So when we look at them and say, that must, that must mean that it was literal. And so if you have the faith of a Christian and you believe the Bible is true, then you would accept, uh, and, and not just Catholics accept this, and to some degree, uh, some Lutherans accept this, Anglicans accept this, or some Anglicans, right? Um, and that's just the tradition of the church. If you look at the Eastern Orthodox, which were in union uh, with the Catholic Church for 1,054 years or so, and there's variations depending on which group, they all believed in the Eucharist for the first at least 1,000 years, and up to 1,500 years, and the Protestants came and said, um, nope. That's not literal. The transubstantiation, it does seem biblical. It also seems crazy, though. I mean, do, do you really think that it turns <laughs> yeah. to his flesh, or does it mean it like a, a symbolic thing? From a Catholic perspective, it's, not, it's clearly not symbolic. So if it's in the Bible, he says it's my flesh, then it's his flesh. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you explain that sort of in a way that, you know, sort of a rational thinking Catholic or, you know, Christian would, would understand it? Uh, Thomas Aquinas explained it using sort of Greek metaphysical terms that he got from Aristotle, I believe, of substance and accidents. So there's a substance, which is the inner essence of a thing. It could be anything. So in this case, it would be what looks like a piece of bread. So the, the accidents would be the external appearances of it. So the accidents of the Eucharist would be, it looks like bread, but the actual substance has changed. That's the term that you use, transubstantium, right? So it's, there's a change in the substance uh, after the priest says the words. So what was once bread externally and intrinsically is now extri- extrinsically looks like bread, but intrinsically is, is the substance has changed to the flesh of Christ. So in that sense, that's the reason why when we, when we consume the Eucharist, it's actually not really interacting like God is not necessarily being digested per se. It's the accidents of, of bread and the, that's being digested. So we're not, uh, to use the phrase that you used earlier, we're not pooping out God. Right. Uh, because but, but by that point, the, the you know at least the theology is that the, the Eucharist has ceased being the Eucharist. You mean it's really God's flesh in a spiritual sense, but not in any like scientific, empirical, testable way. Uh, well, empirical, scientific, you you can't, you wouldn't be able to test a substance of something uh, in the in the sen- in the sense that Thomas Aquinas is talking about it. Yeah, right? but, it's the, but it's does the, he mean it's the it? essence of it? Does he mean it like a supernatural thing? I mean, if it's natural, then we can test it. If it's natural, it's not yeah, fancy stuff. It, it's, it's it's just basic. We can we can stick it with a needle. We can dissolve sure. it. No, into I liquids. understand what you're saying. So if you cut if you cut it open, yeah, you know you won't. You it doesn't bleed. bleed. I mean, <laughs> right. I'm not. You know, from a, within the Catholic culture, you know, there's a lot of beliefs in um, these miracles, and uh, I'm not. I, I don't discount the miracles, but I'm not an expert in some of these like um, Eucharistic miracles. I'm pretty sure you can Google some of these things where you have, you know, they've tested some Eucharist uh, from the 15th century and it's not decayed. 
and it actually has DNA and stuff like that. So I'm, I don't want your audience to think that I'm necessarily, a Catholic doesn't have to believe in those to continue being Catholic, but, but um, those are some of the miracles that, that Catholics would cite. Uh, and they've done actually some, some scientific tests on, on those miraculous, quote unquote, miraculous events. We're not going to agree on any of those. I know that right off the bat. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you've looked <laughs> at them. I've looked at them. This isn't something that is going to get entered into a peer-reviewed journal of biology, right? You as a psychologist, it would blow your mind, I'm sure. As an, as an academic, as a professor, uh, as a clinician, you, you would look at this and you would say, if you saw this in a peer-reviewed journal, you'd immediately read it and be like, yeah, this kind of cool confirms my faith, but this don't pass the muster like there's no way that this is going to be believable like it, it's just this is it's a different thing when we're talking about academics and science right i don't quite understand what you mean by a different thing um i i wouldn't i i don't know what actual tests have been done on those those miraculous eucharistic miracles uh so i can't speak to it sort of intelligibly i mean okay, even if enough, i were to i don't know you'd say it's intelligible anyway but that's how i okay. responded as, to it as far as the, the i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't present it in, in in my conversation really as a i'm just i'm just throwing it out there as something to consider if people were curious about it but right. i'm not an expert in it so i don't know the piece of bread itself that is not physically jesus christ that is as aquinas would refer to the substance thereof right so the way that an atheist might understand that would just be it's supernaturally jesus it's not like really Jesus. Is that a fair way to look at it? I don't think a Catholic would say it's it's not really Jesus. I think a Catholic would say that's really Jesus. I, I don't, you know, maybe we need to make some further finer distinctions that I have to think about. But as if you to say it's, that, it's really uh, Jesus, we, we can't look, like you can't take that home with you. Like immediately upon the, the priest putting that in your hand or on your tongue, you know that's not skin. Like all your senses are saying that's not him. So that's not Jesus from the empirical sense, which which means based on our senses, right? It's not him empirically. Can we at least agree to that? It's not him empirically. Um, I don't know. I suppose I'd have to think about that further. I mean, yeah, even the example you use, they say it's not, it's, it's not skin, it's not this flesh, but skin would be the referring to the accidents piece of it. Um, so I don't know exactly how to answer that. <laughs> if I handed you a nickel and you said, Robert, you owe me 50 bucks. And I say, that's the substance of 50 bucks. That's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you'd call me on it right away. There's no way right. that... Because you can't you can't take the substance of the bank. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, like, I mean, that's, a, a that's a good way to say it. Sure. Like, and I'm not, I'm not just trying to like make argument from analogy. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to sure. describe it in a way that you could look at it from maybe, you know, your, your teenage atheist time. From my atheist perspective that you could say, look, there's no way that this sounds logically coherent to this guy. Like you got to you got to know where I'm coming from where you're like, "Okay, look, maybe you just got to take my word for it. There's nothing that I can say that's going to convince you that it doesn't look like skin, but it's skin." You know what I mean? And th and then I would even be kind of worried like, "What part of his body did I get?" Like, you know, maybe the priest got like a cool part <laughs> like a nipple. But, you know, what if I got something yeah. dirty? I don't want I don't want the butt cheek. It seems so wacky to me that it's even hard for me to to talk about it without talking like that, you know? So it's not like I'm deliberately trying to be sacrilegious or anything or disrespect your faith. But my, my point in bringing it up is more like, you know, I can't believe this without just some kind of level of faith that would destroy any whisper of cognitive dissonance in my head. Like it would have to be such a strong faith that I would be willing to go 
I don't see it with my eyes, but I know it's really just the way that the Bible says it is. You know, I, even as you're talking, I'm like thinking it through, you know, I, I, I would venture, I guess you don't believe in even the concept of miracle in general, do you? No, not really. <laughs> because that, that would be, that would be the suspension of sort of the physical laws of nature. Right. Such so, so that a supernatural event can take place. Now, something like the Eucharist would probably have to be considered a, a miracle. It's a suspension of the physical laws. Again, going back to my point earlier, I think you'd have to, for any of the Catholic doctrines, I, I say this, and I don't know if it's appropriate, and there's probably some Catholic scholar or philosopher that's going <laughs> to, that would even, that would listen to this and say, no, that's, you, you didn't present the, 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 there's the always Catholic one. Church yeah. teaching accurately, but Going back to the, my point earlier, I mean, you, you kind of a lot of Catholic doctrines or even Christian doctrines, you'd have to be a Christian to just believe it or understand it, right? I mean, there, there's yeah, there there is faith, there is a faith aspect to this. So if you already started off believing the Bible is true and the Bible is the Word of God, already I've lost the atheist, right? Right. And so right. so you're you're already within the Christian community by even believing the Bible is true or God is real. Right. And so once you get to that level and, you, and then now you're a Protestant and I could talk to a Protestant, like, you know, I, maybe this would be easier if you were if you're back in your, your Baptist, if you can switch <laughs> off your atheists and, 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 and go back know. to your Baptist. Uh, I, I think know, what I'm saying might be a little bit more intelligible from a Baptist perspective or Protestant perspective. It's, it's funny but you I, say that. I don't I don't expect I don't I don't expect an agnostic or, or an atheist to 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 um, like understand or even accept anything that I'm saying. My sister's a Catholic. I had come out as an atheist to my parents who, you know, my dad was a preacher, my mom, dad, and, and older brother, all fundamentalists, you know. So whenever I came out as an atheist, they were just pissed. You know, they were livid, man. But when my sister came out as a Catholic, it's like they, it made them even more angry, which is it's ironic. Cause it's like, <laughs> That's interesting. Come on. I'd rather, why can't, you, why can't you be an atheist like your brother? Yeah, like at least we can work with that guy. You, you're you the enemy. We can work with the atheist. That's interesting. I'd rather people become, like from atheists to, because, you know, you have these people that are street preachers, right? I'd rather them do the hard work and get atheists to Protestants. That way I can work with the Protestants to get them to be Catholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, so I think um, I think I think the Protestants are a little better with uh, engaging atheists. They're a little more. Uh, I, I feel uh, the videos I've seen are, are very annoying. I can't stand it more than a, one, a minute or two. But then but, you gotta uh, think it's like the Scientologists are like, we're gonna get them from atheist to Protestant to Catholic to Scientologist. Like you gotta go like uh, to the crazier religion is like using yours as a footstep. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> well, the Scientologists are interesting. They're they're anti psychologists, uh, anti psychology. Uh, Over, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've almost come full circle because we've started off with pedophile priests. I'm like, how could you possibly stay a Catholic? And you're like, if you had my faith in God, you would. And then I say, well, how can you possibly believe? You know, bread's really Jesus. Jesus is the bread. Is he toast? Is it, you know, did they cremate him? What is it? And, and you're like, no, 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 trust me. If you had my faith, you'd understand. It seems like we need to talk about faith in God. Would that be a an appropriate conclusion to this three-part discussion, do you think? Yeah, I think that, that would be, I think that would be fair, yeah. Why should I believe in God? That, that's a normative claim, right? Like, this is something I should do. So I'm I'm not just asking from like an ethical sense, like it's bad if you don't, but I'm also trying to imply the empirical reason to believe in them. Like the, what's what's a, a a good logical reason? What's a good evidence-based reason? What's just a, a good argument that you would say as to 
look, I can't I can't show you God, but I can convince you that he at least exists. Well, I, I would I would just, uh, you know, I, I came to the belief in God taking a philosophy class, not the, the professor had no intention of making Christians out of <laughs> out of atheists or agnostics. He, he just wanted to teach his class. You know, he was getting his PhD in philosophy. He just wanted to teach his class for money. Right. Yeah, so yeah. he had no interest in converting anybody one way or the other, you know. It's it's kind of just how I interacted with the material. I had no interest in becoming, you know, I didn't take the class. Oh, maybe I'll become a Christian. Uh, you know, I interacted with the material that was presented. And for me, it was convincing. Maybe for another person, they'll say that's all bullshit. And that's, uh, you know what, that's fine with me. <laughs> uh, and then maybe that's not the common answer for any other Catholic you might have on your program. But but that's fine for me because it's just how I interacted with that material. It moved me. But, you know, C.S. Lewis had an argument, and this is probably not convincing for a lot. It's a very light argument. Every natural desire that we have has an actual objective thing to be desired. So if we are thirsty, there is something to drink, right? Or mm-hmm. if we're hungry, there's something to to eat. If we have sexual desires, there is actual sex to participate in. So, so that's one observation. So I guess you can say that's the premise, is that every natural desire has an objective thing that satiates that desire. So they, the desire goes away and then you get satiated another time when you get hungry again, when you get thirsty again. And he also then observes that there is this, he claims this is a natural desire. There are folks out there that have this yearning or longing for something, whatever that something is, but it's not a thing that something in this world actually satiates. And for those who continue on that path, they find it in this belief in God. And so if there is this natural and, you know, some probably will argue, well, I'm an atheist. I don't have a natural desire for God. But um, but that was his argument. And to some extent, that's meaningful to me. I kind of struggle with C.S. Lewis whenever he's talking about natural inclinations. I would ask him, how do we know which one of these things are natural and which one of these things are given to us? You know, like sociologically, if I told my kid that Santa Claus exists then they're going to want to believe in Santa Claus. But that doesn't mean that there is a, like a real Santa Claus. That just means I gave that to him. I had a right. lot of childhood indoctrination. I had certain expectations about lots of stuff. I mean, not just God stuff, expectations of myself. I was told I was broken, that I was a sinner. I'm not saying that this is indicative of all religious backgrounds or what have you. This might not have been your experience, but just, you know, me personally, like uh, I I had certain expectations about sexuality. I thought that if I thought gay thoughts, that it'd make me gay or something, you know what I mean? Or if I, uh, you was a a psychologist, you probably, you've heard them all, man. But I I had expectations about marriage. I thought that a woman would be submissive. (laughs) Boy, was I wrong. There was lots of, (laughs) there was so much stuff that was just kind of given to me, but that doesn't mean that it really existed any more than Santa Claus. See, I believe in predestination personally, and it is a Catholic doctrine um, that a lot of Catholics don't know about. And so that, you know, it goes back to the reason why I don't, I don't stress a lot about whether I need to convert people Mm -hmm. (laughs) to Christianity or Catholicism, because all of that is already set. right? Right. And so if a person's meant to be saved, if you will, right at the end, you know, things will play out so that they will be saved. And those who are not, it plays out so they don't. So I don't personally stress a lot about necessarily giving you the right answers or whatever, because if it's meant to convert you, then it will. If it's not, then... That's that's a good... It doesn't. 
No, that's a really good point, because it's almost, I wanted to go into faith after God. You cut right through the mustard right down to free will, in a way, because if I'm already predetermined to go to heaven or hell, faith doesn't matter. Whether or not I believe doesn't matter. Whether or not I'm a good or a bad person doesn't matter. The the Eucharist wouldn't matter, and priests and, and children wouldn't matter. Like At this point, this is just basically, do we have free will or not? Because if if we do then I'm being held responsible for my actions. If we don't, God's just kind of doing this all on his own. And I, I don't have to worry about being a Christian or an atheist or whatever. I, I am whatever he makes me. Would that be a fair way of looking at it? Um, I'm going to, at the risk of getting uh, Catholic philosophers to, to really <laughs> communicate me. <laughs> oh, risk it. Um, risk yeah, it I, I, yeah, let's get them to do that. <laughs> uh, no, I would I, I would say that there that is... That would not be the way I understand it. Um, there is a major division, and there's several different perspectives within Catholic tradition. But um, basically, there's there's two different. There's the Molinist, and then there is the Thomist from Thomas Aquinas. And so, between the two major groups, I guess you can say, and some will debate whether those are the two major ones anyway. But Thomas definitely is one of them. Is that what is the basis for the person's salvation, the person's justification? Is the basis what we do as individuals, or is the basis what God has designed from the beginning? And so Thomas, I, if I understand correctly, Thomas's perspective is that God has willed, has predestined some for salvation, and he did not predestine the others for salvation. And so when those people, whoever those people are, do their actions, and some of those actions are evil because they didn't receive any kind of grace, I guess, to to overcome those things um, or to help them with those things. Then it, the basis for their damnation is really their own their own doing. But for those who are saved, those in, the basis for that salvation is God's predestination, and and that in itself is hours and hours and probably even semesters in, in theology class to try to understand that stuff. That's if, dark, man. So that's, so it's, basically, it's, pretty, it's, it's like it's nobody, nobody sure. deserves to go to heaven. We all deserve to go to hell, but God just selects some of us out of this hell-bound group of people that he, yeah. he provides his grace to. Would that, would that be a good way? Well, you know, that's not too different, really, uh, to be honest, at least from my perspective, from the Calvinist perspective. The only difference is the Calvinist perspective. So if I, use, I, I recently had an exchange with a Catholic, and he was like, no, that's a Protestant. I was like, nope, actually, read Thomas Aquinas. It's, it's, a, it's a Catholic doctrine. Calvin didn't come up with it. The only difference is that Calvin said God predestined positively those who go to hell and those who go to heaven. So God is the author. He says those are going. Those ones are going to hell, and those ones are going to heaven. And He had caused those two. So actually, from a Calvinist perspective, there is no free will. There's will, and the will is God's will playing out oh. in your life, right? And so, but the Catholic perspective is is slightly different. Is that He chose those who go to heaven. And he didn't chose the others to go to hell. So they still maintain a, 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 a sense of free will. And that's the basis for their damnation is that they, they chose to do the evil thing. Of course, the challenging thing would be is if you didn't choose them, then it's kind of like saying you're going to hell anyway. You're a determinist. Would that be fair? I would say even as an atheist, I was a determinist. Um, and in, there's actually a, a, quite a bit of psychologists. I'm, just, just quickly, uh, you referred to me as psychologist twice. I'm not. Uh, it's actually a pro, uh, protected title 
for those who are licensed in the state of California. So mm-hmm. I don't do any therapy or anything. So I'm not a psychologist. Okay. Um, you know, there's books about this, about no free will, right? Even, even Sam Harris has a book on no free will. And those studies uh, seem to indicate or seem to support the idea that even in an atheistic person, worldview, um, based on the science, we don't have free will. So right, right. But what, as an as an, I, I as would, an atheist, I would agree. that was a determinist. So my thing with determinism as an atheist is I don't have anyone really to blame. I mean, don't get me wrong. If somebody murders my family. And then, you know, the judge is like, what do you want to have happen to him? I'm not going to be like, yeah, no free will. Just let him go. You know, obviously, th- there's emotional significance to our decisions and what have you. But I don't think that essentially we really make them. That's not a big deal, like you said, for an atheist. But for you, that would mean every cruel act, every child that was raped by a priest, every grandmother that died from cancer, every person burning in hell right now teeth popping like popcorn screaming out for their mothers every single thing is god's fault um well you know uh, again it's it's back to some of these fine philosophical theological distinctions so for even thomas remember when thomas said god has predestined some right and and he didn't predestine the others and so their their evil inclinations overtake or that's their nature right and so that's they're going to they're going to do their evil things, and it's it's their fault they do the evil things because they they chose to do it out of their own free will. Um, there is another distinction between God permitting something to happen and actually willing. I mean, actually, um, what would you say? Um, like doing it himself. There, but I mean, yeah, if, there, there's if there, we don't there, have free yeah, will. So there's things he actually wants to happen, and there are things he just permits. To happen. I mean, God has free will, right? He he can decide what he's going to do. Um, well, it, it, I would say from a Catholic perspective, though, that we still maintain there is free will. So we're not we're not Calvinists in believing that there is no free will. But you're um, a determinist. There's you, still free will, but there's also predestination. Right, but you, um, if you're a determinist, you you would have to believe that we don't have free will. Did you okay, maybe maybe I'm using the determinist in a different sense. Um, I believe things are already set, but that doesn't mean that there is no free will. And, and, and you'd have to again. This is a whole theology course, I'm sure, because God God supposedly exists outside of time, and so we are in time. And so for Him to have predestined some for salvation that means he had to set everything else he had to set up the whole universe to play out a certain way to have the outcome that he wants right Right. and so from that if that's true then the whole story is already written we're the characters that are kind of playing our parts within that story and i don't know how long that story is Mm. maybe it's another few thousand years maybe it's a few million more years but we're the characters playing out the story and from my experience as a character I am making supposedly choices between eating this breakfast, you know, dish or that breakfast dish, but that's all sort of been played. I mean, you know, written, I guess you can say since the beginning. If I was following your analogy and I handed you a book and said, Hey, there's lots of characters in this thing. And it turns out the way that I wrote it, um, wouldn't, wouldn't you have a hard time believing that those characters have free will that are inside the pages of that book? If things are going to turn out the way that he plans, and he exists outside of time, then he already knows the decision that we're going to make. Therefore, we couldn't have made a different decision in the first place. 
Yeah, I know. I, I t- this is a concept that I've struggled with. Let me just be transparent and honest about that. And I've had a decades long debate with one of my friends that's now in <laughs> seminary on predestination and you know, predeterminism and things like that. So there's, there's so, no short um, that, discussion. That, yeah. You no, know, there's no way. Like I said, it's a decades long conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things. I mean, these are. I mean, you just look at it at face value without getting into the debate. Catholic Church teaches predestination as true. And it also teaches free will is true. And as a Catholic, we have to look at that and say the Church Catholic Church teaches it as a doctrine. It's a dogma even. And so we can't reject it. How do those two things work um, is, you know, and this is, I try not to make it sound like a cop-out, but it is a mystery because we don't know how to understand it necessarily. And some people have tried to explain it, like Thomas Aquinas, like, like uh, Molina tried to, uh, you know, explain it. And there's even modern um, writers that tried to explain it. Uh, John Salzo was one of them. He wrote a book on predestination and um, some other, you know, priest that just passed away or passed away a few years ago, wrote a, a 2000 page book about it. And so it's, it's, tr- it's hard to understand even from within the Catholic understanding, but we believe it because we're Catholic. Um, and that's just, there's no two ways about it. It's, it's a dogma. So we have to accept it. How to try to understand it is is the challenge. Seems like for us to understand the Catholic concept of determinism versus free will, uh, we'd have to understand God existing outside of time, and that might be something that we do next time. <laughs> I feel like I'm taking up your whole evening. I really appreciate you talking to us today. Would you be willing to come back on, and maybe we could try to figure out how God can exist outside of time? I think it would be. I don't know if I'd have any, any without doing any research on my own, because uh, I, I just kind of believe it at this point, and I don't um, haven't necessarily uh, researched it. Um, you just believe it. Yes. I mean, well, it's a doctrine, right, that God exists outside. Well, you know what? It, it, I don't think that piece in itself is a dogma that God exists outside of time. Um, I'd have to do a little bit of digging about that because I, I heard your response from a sort of Catholic theologian. He had said, well, we don't actually know if God exists out of time. We don't know how those things work. Well, that's a pretty fair fair answer right there. At least it's, it's an honest answer to say, I don't know. I don't that's kind of my take as from a, from an agnostic atheist perspective. As I, I say, I don't know, but the way that you've explained yourself, I think I, I know you a little bit better today, and I appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate this conversation as well. To keep my hands on myself Thank you to Lawrence. Thank you to Dave Blair at DaveFreesong.com forward slash free music. Thank you to our patrons. You too can support us at Patreon.com forward slash right and learn more at TheRightToReason.com. Next week will be our 100th episode. Can you believe that? I'm so excited. It'll contain all your favorite clips of all our episodes. I've gotten a lot of great recommendations already. But if you have a clip that you'd like to hear again, contact me at TheRightToReason.com under the contact tab. I will add it to the list for next week. Between now and then, remember that you have the right to reason. I 
it's not. Because then it's not rubbing. This on is anything. super. It's super clear right now. So how about we try for a couple of minutes and yeah. see if it comes back? That's it's great. it's more likely it's the microphone. I think it is the right. mic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Once again, I'm sorry about being such a stickler, man. But like like <laughs> no I said, worries. if you'd have heard it from my end, you'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you solved that, Rob. That's not. That wouldn't be the way you'd want to be presented, you know. Okay. Um, you know. You know what it is? It's it's Satan messing <laughs> with this whole situation. It's probably all this. <laughs> or it's uh, it's the Protestant Jesus. <laughs> It was a good conversation. Like I didn't feel like we were we were trying to be strategic with each other. You know, like felt like it was just two guys talking, and that's exactly what you said it would be. So I appreciate it. That's the conversations I'd rather have than debates. Right. Right. For me, most of it, I don't, I don't want to say that I don't care about your listeners. I, I'd like to have a conversation with you, and that's kind of how I'm looking at this. Is that we're talking about this? Oh, I appreciate this, this that. Stuff. That's actually. Uh, that might be one of the nicest things anyone's ever said. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, no, I take that. I take really, that in the way you meant it. That's really, yeah. That, that's kind of how I feel. Too. Right, yeah. Avec amour, dégustez-les.